Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Culture, where we talk about the things that really matter. And I am back in the office on a Sunday, waiting for Sarah to get back with groceries for our lovely Italian Sunday meal. And what better way to prepare than talking about A Farewell to Arms, Hemingway's classic of 1929, which is set in Italy and uh, shows Hemingway's love of, of the, that, this great country. Uh, later on, Hemingway became better known as a devotee of Spain, but early on, really, his focus had been on Italy. Uh, it's where he'd served as an ambulance driver in the First World War and seen war for the first time up close and personal. It was really the formative experience of his life, and he got to know Italy very well. And indeed, um, as I've lived here for five or six years and love it, um, many of the places he describes um, I've been, and for example, the keys seen in the book, the, some of Hemingway's best writing, is about the Battle of Caporetto when the Italian line in World War I falls apart in the face of the Austro-Hungarians, and there's absolute chaos in the retreat, and Hemingway beautifully, exquisitely describes what chaos in war looks like, what defeat looks like, the nonsensical nature of war. And um, I've been to Caporetto, the battlefield. It's up in the Alps, and there's an ossuary as you cross over um, on winding small Italian roads of skulls from World War I. And I wanted to see this very badly, and so at one point in my life, I stopped and saw the ossuary at Caporetto where the skulls are piled high like pyramids. Because I thought if I was going to do foreign policy with the rest of my life, I ought to see what its cost was. And the Caporetto ossuary is something I've kept in my mind, as is Hemingway's description of defeat at Caporetto. He talks a lot about, about that, and really his repugnance for war um, and fascination with it, but repugnance for it, really do come through in this novel, Farewell to Arms, published in 1929. It was the book that made him famous. He'd been a star in literary circles, but was really just a big fish in a little pond with Fiesta. It's Farewell to Arms that made him independently wealthy and world famous. It's where he exploded onto the scene, his second great work. Um, and it's a mature work. It, it's a work of an older man. The war has now, in 1929, been over for over 10 years. And Hemingway, from this distance, um, as he's getting older into his 30s, mid to late 30s, begins to look in a more mature way at love, death, and war. And it's a fantastic read for our community and is the next read for our our book club. So what's Farewell to Arms about? Um, again, it's the first really great work after Fiesta, um, and it's set during the Italian campaign in World War I toward the end of the war, 1916 to 18. It's a first-person account more than Fiesta, which although um, seems to be first-person, it, it bounces around narratively. This is really about Frederick Henry. Uh, it's Frederick Henry. He's an American expatriate serving in Italy in the ambulance corps of the Italian army, much as Hemingway did. And it's the most autobiographical of Hemingway's books. There's almost no veneer between Hemingway and Frederick Henry. Um, whereas the, and of course, anything you write, and this is true of my writing, comes from your own personal experiences. It has to, good writing, as Hemingway said, has to be true and real. and must be something that you've imbibed either intellectually or personally, or ideally for Hemingway, both. And really, this is the closest to autobiography of any of his works. There's almost nothing between Hemingway and Frederick Henry. And the book details his disenchantment with war and also his love affair with Catherine Barclay, 
an English nurse who's already lost her fiancé and falls in love with Frederick Henry after he's wounded. Um, again, it's his first bestseller and really put his name on the map. It made Hemingway independently wealthy and able to do what only 2% of writers get to do, and I'm delighted to include myself in that 2%, is to make an independent living doing the thing you love, being creative and writing. And so it was very important in his career from that point of view. Um, he meets Catherine at the hospital where he's been wounded. Um, she becomes his nurse. They had known each other tangentially before this, but they fall in love while he recuperates. Uh, Catherine gets pregnant. He's sent back to the front. And really the rest of the book is about their attempt to reunite and come together. Again, Hemingway, even as the great goes on, what's great about Farewell to Arms is it, it's in this grand sweep of war of world historical forces at which Hemingway is very good. As a political risk analyst, Hemingway is really hard to beat. He sees World War I as an unmitigated disaster. He sees the Spanish Civil War as the canary in the coal mine later on in For Whom the Bell Tolls. And then he does an awful lot of very good writing about World War II, which he sees as the good war. And so on all the big stuff, the historical political risk stuff, Hemingway is really a very underrated political risk analyst and really gets the overall historical sweep right. But what's so great about Farewell to Arms and Hemingway's writing in general is that with, within this grand sweep, he cares intensely um, in a Renaissance humanistic way about how the individual navigates these gigantic historical forces. And it's at both the micro and the macro level that Hemingway works. And it is really his ambition. He tells this grand sweeping stories but at the same time, they're intensely personal and micro-driven stories because people and love are the answer. And I think that's why he's worth reading. And so the rest of the book is about Frederick Henry trying to get back from the front to Catherine, who's pregnant. Um, throughout the book, there's an awful lot of anti-war commentary at the, at the macro level. He has a number of conversations with the priest, with Rinaldi, his friend, about how the waste of war, which he's seen as an ambulance driver, firsthand. And the highlight, really the climax of the book, um, is this anti-war kind of talk in the Battle of Caporetto and the retreat from Caporetto when the Italian lines finally collapsed in the face of the Austro-Hungarian assault. It's really the last hurrah of Austria-Hungary before it collapses in 1918. But in 1917, it looks like Italy may be collapsing. And so he goes into forensic detail about what retreat looks like. Um, and, and that this, this is important. And, and really the highlight of this is that when he finally escapes from the carnage at Caporetto and makes his way back, about the last thing he sees are Italian military police rounding up officers, accusing them of treachery on the spot as though they are responsible for the defeat and not the old men sitting back in Rome, and they're being executed. Someone has to blame, and so more death is the answer for people who are utterly blameless. Obviously, the lieutenant in the trenches at Caporetto wasn't responsible for what the morons were doing back in Rome. As T.E. Lawrence said of World War I, it's a war where donkeys, where lions were led by donkeys. It's a great line. As Lawrence said, lions are led by donkeys. In the Caporetto experience, Hemingway makes that clear that these brave people suffering and the ones who make it back, ironically, these low-level officers are accused of treachery and are shot. They've been the lions and they must pay the price for the donkeys sitting back at headquarters safely ensconced with a nice bottle of wine, one assumes, 
in Rome. And this really sets the disillusion in motion that World War I caused, which indirectly led to World War II. And Hemingway is ahead of the game politically, psychologically, emotionally in describing this disenchantment. Sickened by what he sees and unable to be cannon fodder for a war that's really secondhand to him, he's after all an expatriate who volunteered to be there in the first place. To save himself, he jumps in. He's a lieutenant. He's an officer. He fears being shot. So he jumps into the river to escape. The Italian military police says he's had enough, throws his uniform off, wears Italian clothing, and heads north in Italy to try to find Catherine. Eventually, they meet up. Hemingway does find her, and they escape by rowing over in a lake to Switzerland. They take turns rowing, the heavily pregnant Catherine's rowing, and they make it to Switzerland. And so all seems well, and they settle in Switzerland, Switzerland quietly and seem to be happy, having escaped the tumult of war. But then, of course, with Hemingway, there is a wrenching ending to the book. Catherine delivers a stillborn baby boy, and then hemorrhages and herself dies. So all this sacrifice and all this yearning to be together and all this heroism, both personally and politically for Frederick Henry, come to nothing because Catherine dies, his baby dies, and he walks home alone in the rain. And it's a fantastic, dramatic ending. Uh, Hemingway was very unhappy with the ending of Farewell to Arms. He rewrote it no less than 47 times. God, I've been there. Uh, to try to get it right. But the prose, which we've already talked about, this new way of talking using the English language, this spare American athletic, gerund tense driven, everything is in the ING form, moving language really does characterize um, his work. Also, his lack of adjectives and adverbs, he leaves the readers to draw out the carnage, the waste of war. He doesn't talk about it. He shows it. He tells it and then leaves you to figure out that Caporetto is a war crime, that it's ghastly that these lions have been driven by donkeys into the chaos of the Battle of Caporetto. And he doesn't say that at all. Again, it's all implied. It's all up to the reader. What I love about Hemingway is it calls for an intelligent reader. You have to draw the conclusions. He presents you with the facts beautifully in this crystalline, athletic, muscular prose, but you're the one who has to reach moral decisions. In, in effect, Hemingway just makes you another character in his story. You are confronted by these facts. You are confronted by the same facts that the novel's protagonists have to deal with, and you have to reach moral conclusions on your own without being spoon-fed or told what to think by the author. That's the genius of Farewell to Arms specifically, and Hemingway more generally. And that's what really drives this. Again, this is based almost entirely on Hemingway's own experiences serving as an ambulance driver in Italy in World War I, where he too, like Frederick Henry, was wounded. And Catherine also is based on a real person. Agnes von Karofsky was his nurse and lover in World War I. They were engaged to be married. Uh, she was, was older than, than, than uh, Hemingway. And uh, she later said that he was more into it than, than, than she was. When he goes back to America, uh, the relationship collapses, but he remains, as he often did with his women, oddly enough, rather fond of her. And Catherine was a tribute to Agnes von Karofsky, his own nurse, who had nursed him in a hospital here in Milan, um, where I live. Um, and, the, and their relationship, although broken off, when he returns to America to fame, ends up in Cuba. 
he thinks of her fondly and bases uh, uh, Catherine almost entirely upon her. Um, and so this is a mature work, again, of love, death, and war. This is an older, whereas, whereas Fiesta, uh, written in the mid-20s, is an angry young man's book. What you see uh, with Farewell to Arms is a more mature work. Hemingway's only four or five years older, but it's really made all the difference. It's the difference between being somebody in their 20s and somebody being in their 30s, that, that you have a more mature uh, look back at the world, a more, a more forgiving but perhaps a more piercing look at how the world really works. And Hemingway clearly sees, as you don't when you're young, this dichotomy about life, that we're all prisoners of these sweeping historical forces, of these political risk forces that we talk about in, in our communities so often. But the key is to link that to the personal, to find personal happiness amidst these political risk, chaotic streams of history. That's what life is about. And Hemingway's describing real life here, love, death, war, decency, justice. And the folly of World War One, of these lions being led by donkeys. And the writing about Caporetto, I think, stands up to the best writing of the 20th century. Just to read the retreat from Caporetto lets you know more about the folly of war, the lunacy of war, than almost anything else. And again, the great secret to Hemingway is that he does all this uh, in a spare, athletic, crystalline, beautiful prose. But more importantly, he leaves you to figure this out. You are merely a character in his world. He presents you with the facts and trusts the reader enough to know that they're going to reach their own damning conclusions. And Farewell to Arms, showing the pity of war, the pity of life, um, that you strive and you struggle and you do your best, uh, but you have to fight against these forces, that nothing is given to you, that life is beautiful and has wonderful moments, as when uh, Frederick Henry's courting Catherine. Some of the scenes there are beautiful and tender and romantic and very well written. But that amidst all this tenderness, these, there are these broader impersonal forces, often malevolent, that you have to struggle against if you're going to try to find happiness. And given my long journey to Milan, in line with Frederick Henry's, uh, there's no wonder that Hemingway rings very true for me, that you have to be prepared to be a moral person beneath everything, to struggle against these forces, to try to be morally correct at the political risk level and to find personal happiness amidst all the chaos. I, real, I realize that rings very true to me, but Hemingway would like that his autobiography and mine come together over this. And I think that's probably why he means so much to me and why I'm sharing him with you. Hope you enjoyed this. This is our take in the culture on why Ernest Hemingway matters. We reach his second great work, A Farewell to Arms, 1929, where he goes from being a literary hero to an international superstar. Uh, we'll move on from here to do the next bit of Heming Why Hemingway Matters. I don't promise that I know what it will be, but I think we'll probably look next at his short stories because Hemingway's short stories are so good, easily the best of the great American writers of the 20th century, far superior to F. Scott Fitzgerald's, for instance, that they qualify as a great work on their own. The problem is there's so many of them and they're so good. So we'll probably concentrate primarily on the snows of Kilimanjaro, but we'll try to look at a few of the other ones if we have time, because they really do merit something. They were works of art. I think you could certainly argue, and I would argue uh, counterintuitively, that the best of Hemingway's work were not his novels, but his short stories. And this is really the opposite of the way 
people, I think stupidly in the 20th century, look at things, which is it's the book, it's the novel that matters. It's not the articles. It's not the short stories. Hemingway, I think, is, is underrated in many ways because precisely because it's his short stories that are magnificent. The novels are great, and the two we've mentioned are worth reading in anybody's collection, but the short stories are really where Hemingway surpasses himself and is unsurpassed. The only one really in his league, short story-wise, is also the underrated Chekhov, whose short stories are magnificent. They're on their own in the 20th century for short story writing. Just as in my world, I love my my, my books. I, I can't wait for less, less Best Hope to be out there. January 10th, when we all go on the offensive, give, give me the five stars on Amazon and demand copies of the book. I think that will be great. Uh, I love my books. I think four or five of them will stand the test like Hemingway's. But the articles I've written, the speaking I've done, are every bit as good. And you don't know about me unless you know about those articles that we share here and, and, and are, are talking, my speaking, which is part of what I do. Likewise, I think Hemingway gets a bad rap because people concentrate solely on his very, very fine output of novels, a number of which are great, Fiesta, Farewell to Arms, certainly great novels, Later on, Old Man in the Sea, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, great novels that would stand up to anything, but the short stories are where Hemingway really shines, and that's what we're going to look at next. Hope you enjoyed this culture one. Please do subscribe if you haven't up to now. So many of you have, but next year we're planning to do even more, to try to do three a week or so, two to three, he says cautiously, for our community. So it's very, very important that you subscribe and important that you give us those $70 as an opportunity cost so I can spend my Sunday mornings talking to you and not just telling John goodnight what to do for our business. All right, everyone, have a wonderful Sunday, a great week, and on we go to Around the World in 20 minutes. But do read next in our book club, Farewell to Arms, and let me know what you make of it.